one, I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, the chair and co-founder of I Relaunch, and your host for today. Today, we welcome Janet Benvenuti for part two of our podcast on relaunching and elder care. Janet is founder of Circle of Life Partners, author of Don't Give Up On Me, Supporting Aging Parents Successfully, and all-around elder care expert. So let's get right back to Janet as we continue to discuss the relauncher's special role in elder care. So Janet, there are two questions I have for you right now, and they're two different questions, and maybe you can address them back to back. One of them is, you know, sometimes you have to take over someone's finances, your elderly parents' finances, like immediately, maybe they get in a car accident or they have a stroke or something. And so I wanted to ask you about um, people who are in the situation where they have to take that over spontaneously versus planning for it and the role of the financial advisor or financial planner in that process. So I want to ask you about that. And then, but before we get to that, I want to know if you can address how do people implement some of these strategies if they have financial constraints? Is the, are there options for um, people who are limited uh, financially? There are. Um, if people pick up my book to read it, and I would encourage them to do so, all that we did for my mother and father was done using their resources. Um, they both had a high school education, they had a home, and that was really their primary asset. So part of the benefit of keeping them in a home setting was that we were able to use some family resources, but I also hired help to come in to supplement. So my sister and her husband didn't have to um, be the primary caregivers and supporters of my mother, because someone with dementia needs supervision 24 seven. There are local councils on aging that exist throughout the entire country. They're under the, an organization nationally that's called um, area service access points. So many of these organizations, again, they, they counsel people free of charge and they can help you understand the kind of resources that are available for your parents. So even if you live in Massachusetts, Carol, you could call your local council on aging, even if you're 35 years old. And these councils on aging uh, provide services to people who are 60 and older, but you can call them and say, my Mm -hmm. parents live in California, I'm confronting this situation. And can you give me some guidance on how I can approach them? So Mm -hmm. the local councils on aging are a really great resource uh, for information and also for services that can um, provide some sort of support uh, for families who have um, some financial constraints. In my mother's case, um, she went out a few days a week to what's called an adult day health program. And I have to be candid, when my sister said she was sending my mother out to this program, I thought, what, Ma- you're putting mom in daycare? I mean, I was just mm-hmm. disgusted. Mm-hmm. And she, and it turned out to be the best thing we could do for her. These are low cost centers. In fact, most elders will say they're going to their club. Ah, so uh-huh. there are low cost um situation where it's a it's a locked facility so people can't wander they're often for people who have you know it's a service for people who are caring for someone who has uh who's forgetful i don't like to say dementia i like to say forgetful um mm-hmm. 
because we care for forgetful people a little differently than we care for people who have dementia. So mm. my phrase for my mother was she was forgetful. So mm-hmm. she went out three days a week to this center. They had exercises. They served her lunch. There were nurses there so they could administer medications. And she was there literally the day she died. And this is a woman who lived with dementia for 17 years. Wow. So literally they took care of her right through the end of her her life. And they were able to give me guidance pretty much on a weekly basis of what to do next uh, to take care of her. So uh, their adult day health programs, they are uh, there 4,800 all throughout the United States. So that's also an option for people to consider, depending on, again, the um, circumstances, financial circumstances. Right. Interesting. And let me just ask you something. So did you say that you ended up selling your parents' house and used some of that, the finances from that to provide some of this care for them? Or I they did, stayed in yes. their house? No, okay. they, I sold their house. Um, well, they stayed there together until my father passed away. Mm-hmm. And then my mother was a widow and she moved in with me mm-hmm. while we built, because again, she couldn't be left alone for more than an hour. She was physically in great shape. She could run up mm-hmm. and down stairs without using, using a railing. Mm-hmm. But she she was akin to a, a three or four year old. You wouldn't leave them mm-hmm. alone in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she moved in with me for a year while we built a small apartment onto my sister's house. And then she I moved see. in there permanently. But I again, see. it wasn't really fair for my sister to have to take care of her. Plus she was working full time and her husband was working full time. So I wound up. Yeah. Right. So we wound up using the adult day health program. We wound up finding a woman who was in her sixties, who was um, her companion, took her out all the time when she was, was uh, home. And so Mm -hmm. she returned at the end of the day, she was tired and um, my sister was able to also balance the whole, um, teenagers with a five-year-old right. and two dogs and a ferret in the elder living with her. It wasn't, e- wow. it wasn't easy. And my sister is the heroine of, of my life. I mean, for being able to do this. Uh, but, uh, you know, you, you do what you have to do. And, and 89% of people either age in their own home or with a family member. So mm-hmm. most of your listeners will be experiencing this with at least one relative in their life. Right. Wow. So um, can you make some comments just briefly on the um, financial planning side of this? And sure. when you suddenly get handed responsibility and, you know, you don't even know where all the paperwork is and, you know, is it on paper or, you know, how, like, what do you do in that kind of situation? Well, I actually have a checklist that I can I, I give people that um, gives them the framework of the papers that they need to go and find. Mm. But um, most people will have a will and they should have what's called a durable power of attorney. That is a, um, a document that lists who could pay your bills if you were not able to do so. Now, all of your listeners, I assume, are over the age of 18. So everyone yeah. listening to this has to have this for themselves. So let alone your parents' situation. Um, if you go to an attorney today, what they would 
craft would be a will, a durable power of attorney, and then um, a healthcare proxy or a medical power of attorney. So we're just going to talk about the finances. So the durable power of attorney lists who can legally pay your bills and such. If it's a married couple, they usually appoint each other, but then there's typically a successor listed. So let's assume, Carol, that you were the successor listed. Well, oftentimes parents don't tell their adult children, oh, right. you're it, right? right? And that happens all the time. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I challenge older people to do is make sure you're having conversations with your children so they know what roles you're, you're expecting them to play. So, so, um, if they have a financial advisor, of course, you would want to call the financial advisor and say, I am, you know, assuming responsibility for my parents. You have to go to each bank and financial institution where they have assets because many of them have their own, own forms to fill out. So this becomes an exercise. And yeah. that's why there really is a need for everybody to plan for their aging and longevity. And yeah. so you don't know if you have, are, let me just interject there for a minute. I'll just say with my own experience with my mother, she got in a car accident and then yes. all of a sudden she was in the hospital and it, it was almost like we had a dress rehearsal, you know, because she got out of the mm -hmm. hospital, but it made me realize I have no idea what, you know, how to get I have no authority with her bank account. I don't even know where it is. And then we went through this exercise of putting me on the account, but we had to have that event happen. And it could have been a lot worse than it was. And she was fortunately able to, you know, function and, and uh, then we walked through it. But to think about this ahead of time is the much better option. It is Carol, but there's always an event. You know, mm -hmm. most of us, like, it was my father's throat cancer that caught my attention. And that was when I started to realize, oh, that, you know, he is approaching the end of his life. And now he died eight years later, but mm -hmm. there's usually an event. There's a heart attack, a diagnosis of cancer. I mean, mm -hmm. when the event happens, that's when you should start to think about who is going to be in charge of their health and who's going to be in charge of their wealth. And mm -hmm. I use that term wealth in quotations because mm -hmm. you know, my parents were not wealthy. Most people are not. But those are the two questions you have to answer for yourself. If, if I ended this conversation and were in a car accident, like your mom, and was, and was in a coma, who's going to handle my paying my bills and who's going to make medical decisions on my behalf. Yeah. Those are two critical questions. And anyone over the age of 18, and that includes your teenage children, need to have that answered and answered legally with these uh, forms. They're not expensive to, to create. Um, but everybody, this is one of the things that you learn about supporting your aging parents is that you have to, a lot to do to to take care of yourself and your own family. Um, and so in many ways, they're helping you think through uh, tasks that you have to take care of yourself because unfortunately accidents do happen. Right. Um, and it, it leaves the family scrambling and running from crisis to crisis. And, and that's what we try to avoid. So Carol, I think it's important for your listeners to understand this legal planning clearly because it doesn't just impact your parents, it impacts us as well. So 
we talked about the durable power of attorney, and that is the legal document which you give someone else permission to manage your assets. So I could sell my parents' house, I could pay their bills, um, I could uh, pay to have that apartment built for them. And that was all because I was their durable power of attorney. So it gave me that power. It's not something to give away lightly. And so that's one set of responsibilities that adult children can assume. And if people don't have an adult child or if they don't have an adult child whom they trust, Uh then you can certainly hire or have a financial advisor. Um, There are trust officers who would actually do this for you. I had one client who's an artist and her husband's a CPA, and she realized that um, if anything happened to him, she knew nothing about their assets and where the money was. And so they actually went to a bank and they set up a trust. So if he predeceases her, there is a a professional who's going to oversee her bills and so forth. So there are solutions if um, it can't be handled by a family member. The other... Jenna, I just want to interject here because this whole role of a financial planner or financial advisor in this process, so not only for those of us who are listening, we need to set up in our own lives looking forward, as you just made this example with the artist married to the CPA, and now they have that trust and an independent person who can um, help to manage that if the husband who has the financial knowledge in the family predeceases the wife who does not, um, but also um, in this role where suddenly we're taking over the finances of an elderly parent, um, there's this durable power of attorney and what do you do with it? Do you have a piece of paper and then you you have to send it to the bank and say, this shows that I have the authority and you can give me the passwords to the account. I mean, there's a lot involved there and it could get there very is complex. A lot. There is a lot. And, you, you know, you, you, um, what I did w- with my mother's case, for example, I actually brought her with me to the bank in case something had to be signed. Yes. And we went from bank to bank and actually set it up because, yes, there is a legal document that is written that gives you this authority it is signed by the parent and then you have to take that to the financial institution and some of them now have their own documents because elder abuse and scams are prevalent and so a lot of the banking and institutions um, are very cautious about this so this is a responsibility, I think, that anyone who's older has to handle. So, you know, my parents' generation didn't expect to live as long as they did. And so a lot of things weren't set up. But the, the baby boomers um, have, they, they, they need to set this up for their children to make it easier for them if possible. Um, but yes, it can be it can be a challenge. And if this document isn't in place, then you end up potentially having to go to court for guardianship and right. it can become a real and we, real we have separate podcasts because we actually are very active with the Certified Financial Planning Board, Center for Financial Planning, and we even have a an initiative set up for them for um, people who are returning after career break to become financial advisors and financial planners because we have a unique skill set and even our age uh, is is actually a a 
qualifier and a benefit um, in terms of how effective we can be in this role um, advising other people. So I, I will direct, I just wanted to direct people on our podcast to our podcast about the financial planning and financial advisory field to learn more about what financial planners do. But this is a perfect example. Um, Janet, I think I interrupted you and you're in the middle of talking about there were two different legal documents and we only, we talked about. Yes. So, one. so the first is to, to wrap your hands around your parents financial matters and to use a, a, an independent certified financial advisor would be awesome. I consider a financial advisor to be one of the the key pe- players in in helping elders navigate the last stages of their lives. Um, the other documents that are related to health. So we were discussing if I were in a car accident and in a coma, you know, who would make medical decisions on my behalf? Well, we're in charge once you're over the age of 18 and this is true for your teenage children the day they turn 18 you as a parent you no longer have the right to talk to their physicians about their medical issues um, because they are now in charge of their own medical choices a lot of parents aren't aware of that unless they give you that authority through a document called a health care proxy or a medical power of attorney as it's called in some states so my um, husband happens to be my healthcare agent. So if anything were to happen to me, um, he would be the one making medical decisions on my behalf. My mother with her dementia lost her ability to make her own medical decisions. Mm-hmm. And so I happen to have been her healthcare agent. So that was triggered. It's not something that is automatic. With a durable power of attorney, once it's signed, unless it's written in a certain way where it's springing, it's automatic. But with the healthcare agent, you don't become a healthcare agent unless someone is considered to be incapable of making their own medical choices. I think. So it. It happens often with people who have dementia. So her physician wrote a note just to cover my, you know, this is it, saying that I had the authority to um, to make medical choices on her behalf. And then I became the equivalent to her mother making decisions mm-hmm. for on her behalf through the end of her life. And that included whether or not to withdraw life support. So... Wow. This healthcare agent's role is not for the faint of heart. It is you are literally making medical decisions for someone. Um, it's not that other family members weren't involved; they were, but you, there can only be one healthcare agent at a time. Got it. So, okay, so let me sort of um, review this a little bit um, to, because we're covering a lot of ground here. We talked about the health making medical decisions on behalf of an elderly uh, parent or relative, making financial, so health and wealth, or wealth being financial decisions on behalf of the elderly parent. And now we've talked Mm -hmm. about legal decisions. Are there other categories like what about just their medications and dealing with the pharmacy and refilling and making sure that they're all up to date and coordinating with the doctor? Well, the the second most important thing after you get the legal stuff, pat, you know, tapped down, the medical the medications are probably the second 
most important thing to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. There are 6,000 prescription drugs on the market today, and every one of them has side effects. So if your parents are taking more than two or three prescription drugs, they're at risk for um, side effects. Mm -hmm. And the most common side effect is dizziness, um, and 40% of hospitalizations are caused by falls. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? I mean, I, again, I know a lot about drugs, but a lot of people don't. So all you, all you have to do is write up a list of medications and the date and the, de the time of day they take and the dosing. So it matters if someone's taking, say, 10 milligrams of a drug versus um, 110 milligrams. And then bring that list to a pharmacist at CVS, at Walgreens, and ask them to take a look at the medications because they have databases that and they have a lot of knowledge about drugs and they can help guide you as which drugs if any should you go back to the doctors and and maybe raise some questions when elders um, get into the medical system and begin to have multiple chronic illnesses, they often see several specialists. And so they may be taking a whole array of drugs that even their you know, primary care doctor may not be fully aware of all the ones they're taking unless they keep going back to him or her. Mm -hmm. So the, a, a simple thing, but a very uh, helpful thing to do is to try to get your hands around the prescription drugs. And the way to do that, again, is through that list, then take it to um, a pharmacist and then have them go to their doctors and have them you know, take a look at the meds and the dosing. My father was given a prescription when he had open heart surgery that the doctors sort of forgot to take him off of mm -hmm. that wound up having him hallucinate. Wow. And this is a man who had absolutely no uh, cognitive challenges. So uh, so drugs are, uh, are a challenge. And it is next to getting the, keeping an eye on their finances, keeping an eye on their medications would be the second most important thing to do for your parents. Got it. Um, and so, so there's legal, there's the medications, there the general health decisions or the finance decisions. There's the decision about, do I need to move closer to my parent or hire or designate another person to be that person who is close to them and in regular physical, you know, day-to-day -day contact with them. Um, and, you know, then all these other pieces that, that you're talking about in terms of where do they live and do we sell their house and, and this whole process of, let's say, they live, they've lived in a house for 50 years and then there's the whole downsizing piece. And so any comments on just purely logistical matters um, as far as moving and downsizing and making decisions about do they move in with a relative or do they go to assistant living? And I, I'm sure finances are, are a big piece of that. Any general comments on handling logistics? Well, there are professional senior movers. Mm -hmm. So there are folks who specialize in working with elders to help them downsize. The housing question is one that's it's partly economics. Um, I think most people don't understand that assisted living is not assistance in living. Mm -hmm. An assisted living community, in my opinion, is um, it's congregate living. So you're paying for an apartment and you're paying for a lot of socialization. But if you need aides to come in, there may be a 
little slice, like an hour a day of support. But if someone really does need serious and significant help, you're going to either privately pay for extra help or that person will transition to a nursing home. There are continual care retirement communities. They have a totally different economic model where you pay a sum of money to buy in and then you transition over time. But these are very expensive options. Just for the numbers, 3% of elders end up in continuous care retirement communities. 3% end up in assisted living communities today. 5% live in nursing homes. And the rest either live in their own homes or they live with a family member. Uh. So, so most people in America will not end up using assisted living. Got it. Um, and... So then the question is, do they live with you or not? Now, I can share a personal story. I don't really share my clients' stories. Um, my now 91-year-old mother-in-law was still shoveling snow at the age of 88. Wow. And it took us a lot to persuade her to move out of her house. It took 11 years um, of persuading to get her to move. And she now lives in a two-bedroom apartment that's a couple of miles from one of her sons who happens to be a physician. So sometimes it's just if they're still able to live in, a, in a, an apartment that's close to a family member. Um, but but the, these are the kinds of decisions that are what I call strategic decisions. Um, and there are eight strategic decisions that I identified that people have to make. One is around housing, and that's what we've been discussing. Mm -hmm. where, where will they live? Um, and you have a lot of options, but it's, it's a combination of, are, do you want to, are you able to have a person live with you who's older? Um, what are the economics? And it's a little more complicated to cover in a, a quick podcast. Right. But um, but yes, housing becomes one of those strategic choices. Okay, and we are kind of going into the home stretch now. So I, Janet, are there comments that you have on these others? You just mentioned there are eight strategic decisions that you need to make. Can you say what they are? Um, well, yes, I, they are... Um, dealing with the legal issues, paying attention to finances, understanding how the medical system works, that's three. Housing is four. Uh, paying attention to geography is five. Getting the family and extended family members to work together as a team. End of life choices. And then the, the eighth one, which I'd like to end this on, is has to do with um, wellness. Because what does contribute to longevity? You know, we can get into all the tasks, and uh, that's what we've been doing. But the focus is on enabling your parents to live as well as possible through the end of their mm -hmm. lives. And so there are six things that actually contribute to longevity. My father's life expectancy was less than a year, and he lived for two and a half years. And that was because we very naively did what I know the science tells me now, which I didn't know mm -hmm. then. So here are the six things that contribute to your parents' longevity and also to your longevity. So pay attention to these six. 30% of how you age is tied to your genetics. So we can't really control that if you've inherited, say, the gene for Huntington's disease or early 
onset Alzheimer's. I mean, right now, we don't yet have the ability to alter that, mm -hmm. but that's coming in the future. But the other five things we do control. So here they are. One is diet. We know that the Mediterranean diet contributes to longevity. And what is that diet? It is fresh fish a few times a week, a glass of wine, fresh fruits and vegetables, a few nuts and a little bit of olive oil. So it's not dieting, it's a diet. Mm -hmm. And my 92-year-old mother-in-law, who happened to be from northern Italy, she has absolutely no heart disease. And what you're trying to do is prevent heart disease. And that's what the Mediterranean diet does. Wow. It also prevents diabetes. So dieting, there are um, spices like turmeric that can reduce inflammation um, caused by arthritis. Blueberries, of course, are, you know, have an anti-cancer component to them. So understanding that food is a form of medicine, mm -hmm. and that's true at all ages. The second is exercise, and we're talking about um, aerobic exercise. So even walking just a few miles a day will add years to your mm. life. So exercise is key. Um, Stress reduction. I think the reason women end up having Alzheimer's is because who's more stressed mm -hmm. than a woman dealing with teenage children, a demanding job, and then parents and in-laws who right. need help. So paying attention to techniques for reducing yeah. stress. People who have an active faith practice, um, recover faster from surgeries. And that's because prayer is a form of meditation. So yoga, meditation, anything at all, listening to classical music, going for long walks, whatever you can do to reduce stress is important. Um, socialization is the fourth. So we have eating well, getting exercise, reducing stress, socializing with others. Um, if my father lived a long while, it's because he was surrounded by this kooky Irish family who loves to love. Mm -hmm. And elders, they're showing that aging alone, which they call an elder orphan, um, that can lead to depression. And depression's a risk factor for, for um, disease like heart disease. And we know that heart disease is the number one killer. So uh, maintaining a social network, whatever that mm -hmm. is, important. And then finally is, is good sleep, wow, getting okay. sleep. So I, I have people say to me, I think my mom's getting a little forgetful. And the first question I ask is her age. Because many women, when they're going through menopause, for example, don't sleep well. And uh, sleep deprivation can lead to what appears to be cognitive changes, but it's really that you're just sleep deprived. And, and those of us remember back to raising infants, we all remember the days of lack of right. sleep. So those five things will contribute to your longevity and paying particular attention to your own well-being as you're trying to help others is really critical. Wow, that's, that's such a great list. And the focus on wellness, I'm so happy that we're ending with that piece of it because, I, you know, I, in the conversation, there's so much to think about and it's so fundamental. So I, I'm really, really glad that we came around and, and are focusing on that point. So that brings us to the very end. And Janet, thank you so much for spending this time with us today and, and, and especially 
for doing this um, podcast with us in two parts because there's so much information. Um, we want to uh, end with the question that we ask all of our podcast guests, which is what is your top piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something that we've already talked about during the course of our two podcasts? Well, this may sound funny, but I would tell them to relax that there are a lot of resources out there available to help you, especially today. There are 60, what, 60 trillion web pages. Um, some of the what you'll find online is useless, but there are lots of community-based solutions today that are available to help you. So it's really just a matter of understanding uh, how to find them, how to access them, and then thinking about these strategic issues that we talked about, geography and housing and so forth, and doing in a way that doesn't overwhelm you. That has been the mission of, of my work for the past 15 years. And, um, and there are resources today. You're not the first person to go through this. You're not alone. There are lots of folks out there who can help you get your arms around whatever situation you're dealing with. Incredible way to end our conversation today. Uh, thank you, Janet, so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Um, Janet, can you uh, tell our audience where they can go to find out more information about your work? I mean, we've talked about so many topics over these two podcasts. And is there a place where that's kind of a central repository for a lot of what we've discussed? Sure. Um, the first thing I would suggest is that they go to my blog, which is don'tgiveuponthem.com, if they want to pick up a copy of the book that I wrote, because it really is, in many ways, a primer for this stage in life. So that's don'tgiveuponthem.com. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I do have a website, which is circleoflifepartners.com, and you can find some links on that. I tweet. Um, which is uh, at COL Partners. So <clears throat> you can follow me on, on that, and you can also reach out to me in that way. On the website, you could join the circle, which allows us to just send you newsletters quarterly and keep in touch if you choose to do that. And you can always pick up the phone and call. And my office line is 978 287 5600. And if you mentioned that you heard me on this podcast, I told Carol that I would be um, happy to, to, to talk to you personally. So um, those are the ways to keep in touch and find out more about the work that we do. Wow, Janet, that's so generous of you. And thank you so much um, for giving our audience those ways to uh, get in touch and access all of these resources, which really have been considerable. Uh, so thanks again. Um, it's been wonderful speaking with you. Thanks, Carol. So you've been listening to 321 iRelaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, chair and co-founder of iRelaunch and your host today. For more information about iRelaunch, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.